Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. Now, don't forget, if you want to come on and do the quiz on my Times Ready show, it's called Can You Get to Number 10? There's 10 questions loosely connected to 10 cabinet jobs. And uh, the more questions you get, right, the better the job you get to taking your place alongside our listeners and guests. We're always on the lookout for listeners, particularly international listeners. And I know that lots of you listen to the podcast outside the UK. So email me your details, matt.chorley at times.radio, and we'll get you on to play the quiz very soon. Right, coming up, it's that time of the month where we bring you the Times Radio Focus Group in association with Keck CNC. James Johnson, former number 10 pollster, has convened another panel of swing voters. What do they think about Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer? And what grades they give them in their end of term report. That's coming up, but first is the columnist panel. It's Tuesday, so it must be Finkelvich. It's Daniel Finkelstein and David Ivanovich. Meet the Cerberus of columnists. The Janus of journalism. And the ultimate political portmanteau of opinion. Finkelvich with Daniel Finkelstein and David Aronovich on Times Radio. Still funny. Uh, good morning to Daniel Finkelstein. Good morning. And good morning to David Aronovich. I'd like to invite Tom Cruise to nerve tag because I've just actually finally nailed down what nerve sta- tag sta- stands for. Go on then, tell the class, share it with the group. New and Emerging Respiratory Viruses Advisory Group. Great. And you think he'd be particularly I, I, useful there? It's taken me a year and a bit. Well, I don't know whether it's useful or not, etc. but I'm just pr- wanted to tell you. I just think he's misunderstood the uh, COVID regulation about the cancellation of a cruise and uh, not realised it didn't apply to him. <laughs> he's been, yeah, he's been moored outside Southampton for six months. Um, uh, so let's talk about coronavirus. Hurrah, says everyone. Uh, but I'm quite interested in the politics of all this because it, it feels like, particularly on the Labour side, Keir Starmer really breaking with Boris Johnson, uh, being quite sort of aggressive. You know, he's putting out, I mean, he admittedly put out 10 questions of Boris Johnson on Sunday and then put out another 10 which were a bit similar 50 minutes later, but then did a sort of statement to the nation yesterday morning, again attacking uh, Boris Johnson. Um, but, the, you know, the Tories are, what, 12, 13 points ahead in the polls still. So who should be more worried about what's going on uh, politically uh, with coronavirus right now, Danny? Well, look, I think if it goes wrong, the government always gets the blame, and I don't really think it matters what position so much the opposition has taken. Uh, I... I we are engaged in a quite a risky decision. I, I am in favour, I think, on very, very much on balance of the decision to proceed with stage four. I think we have to be very cautious about it. And the weird thing is, you know, if we think it's going to be all right, it probably won't be. And if we worry about it, it probably will be because we'll take the measures necessary ourselves. Um, and uh, in a situation where the government has made has taken a risk, it's the obvious move for the opposition to move into what is perfectly responsible territory, by the way. Uh, to say that they don't think the government's being cautious enough and making perfectly reasonable points about whether or not um, the, we, we're prepared for the gamble that we've taken and the advice has been right and the leadership has been right because sometimes I think the messaging has been pretty inconsistent. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's both politically the, you know, the right thing to do, probably the only thing you can do, and it's perfectly responsible position. I can't object to it. Uh, David? 
Um, I, I, I like the, some of the logic in that. And actually, funnily enough, although it appears peculiar, it's actually true. So what Dan is saying is the more nervous the government makes us about its plans for opening up, the more likely we are to behave responsibly because we're worried that they're not. And in that case, the disaster won't happen. And funnily enough, there is actually an element of that that people have to try sometimes try and build into models, which is how we actually respond to the messages we're given. And that will include sometimes us responding in a way which is not expected to the models which we are given. Um, the thing that interested me about this was that up until now, um, uh, the uh, opposition has has played it very cool. And it's kind of criticised around the margins and said, well, this isn't clear, that's not particularly clear, you could have done this a bit better, you could have done that a bit better. And then for certain things which the government has tried to do but uh, have gone badly, such as uh, test and trace in the early days, then they've said, well, that was a mess and that was all kind of... Uh, and none of it has kind of really been a major departure from the government's own strategy. This, I think, is the first time that Keir Starmer has actually turned around and said, no, what you're doing is totally wrong. Do something else instead, um, which is not to open up so quickly or to make sure that we do have a mask mandate and so on. And that this is a um, this is a bad leap in the dark. But of course, if Danny's logic persists, that will, of course, be exactly what Boris Johnson wants him to say, because it will frighten us all into behaving Correct. better and therefore the disaster won't happen. So it may be deep in Boris Johnson's calculation was the calculation that Keir Starmer would criticise him for it. I mean, I think that one of the things that I've certainly learned is that the idea that Boris Johnson's got some sort of cunning double strategy involving that is, <laughs> is very implausible. Let's put it that way. Yeah, well, one strategy would be good. Never mind too. Um, the other thing that I, the other thing that's interesting is that the language from Keir Starmer is much more aggressive. But all he's, I think, yeah. all he's at, in terms of concrete things. He's talking about, I think, support for people who have to self-isolate. But in terms of like the sort of restrictions, all he's actually saying is that we should carry on wearing masks, which up until the day before yesterday was the rules, and cases were soaring. So I don't know how he's in some way... Because he's on the one hand, what he's calling for in practical terms is a continuation of a mask policy which wasn't having any impact on cases. While giving the impression, if you actually follow his logic of we need to get cases back down, he's calling for another lockdown. Um, well, you... you Sorry, you David. Go ahead, David. You go well, ahead, David. You've conflated something just very slightly there, Matt. Uh, cases have been going up, but we don't know that masks haven't been having an effect. No, I know, I suppose... but, but I mean, but his point about we need to bring cases down, just reintroducing or keeping masks yeah. clearly isn't going to do that. That was the point I was making. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, so point one is, I suppose they will saw more, but no, no, nevertheless, you're right. You would have to do something. I mean, I, I, I was listening to people who'd been in uh, uh, in nightclubs coming out of the first night of the nightclubs, and I have to tell you that this is a real kind of generational problem because if I say this, my kids are going to leap on my back and say we've already sacrificed enough, and they are very, very reasonable people actually, but they are they get quite annoyed about this. You know, you want to gallivant off to God knows where on holiday, and you don't want us to have our nightclubs. Well, I was listening to people. People talking about having been in those first night nightclubs, and I thought there couldn't be a more optimal situation for the for for moving around variant D. I can't think of one. I just could I just couldn't imagine what it would be. Um, and then we have this business about well, come September you might have to have the double vax before you can get in. That then goes into an argument about when it is better to have the peak if you can manage the peak. Is it better to have it now, i.e., provoke it now on the one hand, or on the other hand to have it um, a bit later when schools and colleges are going back? And I was listening to somebody, uh, a major scientist, saying this is. A, a total call question. We just do not know the answer to it. 
And, and what about the sort of execution? If we accept that there is a government strategy, what about the execution of it? In that just this morning, we've had Paul Scully, the business minister, uh, saying it's up to individuals and businesses if you get pinged by the app. It's a legal thing if you get contacted by the NHS, but it's a, it's a, a, he basically said it was up to individuals if you got pinged by the app, whether or not you self-isolate. Within an hour, you've got number 10 saying... Uh, no, that's not right, actually. Uh, you you, sh- you should isolate. And then we had Chris Philp, the Home Office Minister, a few minutes ago saying it's not a mess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, the, the truth is, every, every time we've moved away from very simple, very straightforward rules to these more complicated um discretionary rules with lots of different exemptions and changes every single time that we've done that it's ended up looking extremely messy and you have to say at those moments the government's never looked at its best in terms of its control of the agenda or its leadership capabilities and I think it does have to address that you know I, I'm generally generally pride myself and be able to think to myself well why are they doing x or y and use my political experience to guess why that is but when they did this thing um with the uh, with the prime minister and the chance of the executive deciding they weren't going to isolate um you know which was obviously what i was suggested was going to cause a ping pong um they they didn't actually um they didn't i'm glad that fine the penny finally dropped on one um i i, I they they the political decision making that went into that was so poor, it did lead you to question the whole political decision-making apparatus. So uh, I think there are two things that are going on. One is, it just is a bit more complicated, a bit like that ludicrous Scotch egg nonsense. You know, you have to draw lines in certain places. It's very difficult to know where you draw the line. You you aren't going to be completely consistent because you're trying to reduce the overall problem, and therefore you're going to pick some things to drive them down. Most of those, we don't know the answers. And so most of those things are excusable, but it has to be said that at those moments, Moments which are quite difficult. The government hasn't shown a great degree of sure-footedness uh, or uh, in in how it explains those things, and it needs to address that problem. One of the things I found interesting was, all, of course, the the ping pong, as you call it, uh, all happened on a Sunday morning, um, and the, and and it led to people speculating who is advising the prime minister. And I thought, you know, some things advisers, prime ministers, advise themselves about really. I don't think Tony Blair would have needed somebody to advise him on a Sunday morning how this was likely to go down, because he would have worked it through logically at the first half hour of thinking about it before saying something about it. Um, And it's really extraordinary in a way that we got to the situation whereby we have a Prime Minister who appears incapable of doing that. Yes, it's look, I I agree with that. I think Prime Ministers have to have a good political instinct of their own. uh, And uh, in these circumstances, sometimes it'll fail you. But, you know, I'm sure it did sometimes Tony Blair, but rarely. uh, And he doesn't have that strength. But if you don't, then you have to have people around you who do. Um, I think it's extraordinary that none of them had this uh, thought, or that if they did, they couldn't prevent the Prime Minister from exerting his own um, his own view on something where he was clearly going to have to reverse himself. So anyway, I mean, who who exactly was responsible for this? Ultimately, it's the Prime Minister's responsibility. But who exactly uh, you, you know you put the point the finger to is less relevant than the fact that the whole operation as a whole seems to be capable of making this sort of mistake not being able to sort out these kind of messaging problems. But I would say the messaging problems are very difficult and we shouldn't go around going, I can't understand it. Why does this rule apply to one thing and it doesn't apply to the other? It just does. It always has all the way through. It always will. That's the nature of what we're dealing with. 
What about um, as, on a sort of similar note of, you know, government not being entirely consistent uh, on the question of uh, COVID passports? We were told repeatedly they weren't going to happen. Uh, uh, and now they are going to happen, but specifically for, again, the young people who David likes to upset, uh, who want to go to nightclubs, <laughs> but then not until September. So they can carry on in their super spreading events now. Uh, the, 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 that's, that makes total sense. What they're trying to do is get young people to vaccinate who don't think they want to, um, because what's the point? And indeed for them, the risk uh, profile of the vaccine versus the gain that you get out of it is smaller for them as individuals, although not for us as a community. And so they're trying to do that. And this is one of the levers they have. And it makes sense to do it in September, because before then, people can rightly say, well, I didn't have the opportunity to do this. So it's very unfair of you to impose it on, on me. And that's the reason why they put the dates back. And do you know what, we all actually know the answer to this question. But we all spend our time going, oh, I don't understand understand why they're doing that we all understand why that is the reason that's the reason why they're doing it of course it's a little bit inconsistent but we can exactly understand why they took the decision they're taking they're not very good at explaining it but that shouldn't mean that we can't work it out for ourselves danny finkelstein for prime minister i think is the only conclusion we can draw from that uh david david i assume that you're already at home prepping your popcorn so you can watch his interview with uh, dominic cummings on the tv tonight um uh, actually, I'd completely forgotten it was on the uh, on the TV tonight. Um, uh, but it does sound as if it's going to be very well worth. I mean, part of the problem these days is that things are so well uh, trailed in advance, uh, as it, as listeners to your program will know, um, uh, and so often trailed in advance that actually you've kind of gone through it before you get there. Um, and so, but but anyway, it. it the bits I've heard are deeply kind of fascinating. And of course, the, the first thing that happens is you get a, a, a Conservative MP uh, on who is taxed with what it is that Dominic Cummings said. And the first thing they go to is, is Peter Bowden this morning, I think. Um, uh, well, I wouldn't believe a word that Dominic Cummings said. Well, that certainly solves the problem for him. Really, because if you don't simply don't believe a single word he says, then in that case you don't have to take any notice of any of the things. Then Laura Kroonsberg actually says that quite a lot of what he is saying, and actually some of it is written down. So I don't know how Peter Co Bone copes with that, unless um, uh, she, she thinks Dominic Cummings has kind of you know as fraudulently made it up. Laura Kroonsberg then says, "Well, this actually ties in with things that other people have said to me as well." At which point, said MP or somebody says, "Well, I don't listen to gossip, and I wasn't there, and I wasn't in the room, etc." In other words, <laughs> there is no kind of defensible position that they can go to the one thing that is becoming absolutely clear beyond uh, any doubt is that last autumn Boris Johnson felt himself leaned upon by the lockdown sceptics and the great Barrington declarers and the uh, and sections of the Conservative Party and Graham Bleeden Brady, uh, who has probably done more damage to this country than I think the kind of, you know, platoon of uh, Soviet tanks would have done, etc. And uh, felt so leaned upon. Uh, and so unpersuaded himself by what the scientists had told him, maybe because he'd been through uh, a series of vagaries, that effectively he lost faith in the government strategy, lost all sight of what actually the virus was, what it did, how it worked, what the consequences were, and decided that actually he wanted to move away from any kind of significant restrictions as, uh, uh, as quickly as he politically expediently could. Um, and uh, it's clear from Jeremy Farrer's book that this is the case. It's clear from uh, uh, what the Sunday Times has done. And it's clear now, for, absolutely clear from Dominic Cummings. And that failure last autumn, I think, actually did lead us to a significant failure of policy, which meant that many people in the wake, just as the vaccine was being rolled out, probably died who didn't need to die. And that is a very serious charge. And I 
feel relatively confident in making it. And that's what the Dominic Cummings things mean. And anything else that people try and put upon it, I don't believe him, look, he's just being revengeful, etc. All that may or may not be true. It's all beside that absolutely singular point. Danny, what have you made of uh, what we've heard so far from uh, I, I Dominic I don't disagree with much of what David said. Look, Dominic Cummings uh, thought it would be a good idea to make Boris Johnson prime minister when lots of us questioned <laughs> two things. One was uh, his grasp of detail and the other was uh, his view, which anybody who read his Telegraph columns would know, which was that, you know, we don't need any petty regulations and to tell people what to do. Um, the world will get on fine absolutely without those things. And we thought that it was exaggerated and simplistic. And it shouldn't be surprising to Dominic Cummings. Those turn out to be exactly this, the problems yeah. of... Boris Johnson's premiership. You know, I, I do think there are other things to point to which are not, pro which 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 are better than that. But that, those are central problems, and they've been a problem through this incident. There, there are things that he can say he did well, uh, but I think that Dominic Cummings's account is completely credible, undercut by the fact that I could have told him that before, right? <laughs> and and um, and and I also there's a, there's another thing which is. Um, personally you when you work for somebody of course they say a lot of things to you uh while they're thinking what to do right and you engage in a debate with them and you talk them out of stupid ideas that they were just about to commit to um and that's why they employ you in the first place and although uh, i think he is telling the truth um i think it's not irrelevant that it is a completely disreputable way to behave to someone that you worked for and I find myself in the position that I would uh, I think Dominic Cummings is a totally brilliant person in many ways I think he's uh, incisive he's very well read uh, he knows what he's reading he understands its application his challenges to the civil service and the British political system are usually sound and good ones and at the same time he's unreliable he can't work with anybody and um, his solutions to the problems seem to me to be halfway to a dictatorship even though he doesn't seem to appreciate that himself so I you know I, every time I see him I'm conflicted with all those things but it doesn't mean I don't believe his account. I, d I definitely do believe the account. Danny Fickstein and David Wanovich today, of course. You can be Danny on The Times on a Wednesday, David on a Thursday. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is the Focus Group. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast. Now it's time for the Times Radio Monthly Focus Group in association with Keck CNC. Now, every month here on Times Radio, since we launched, we've convened a focus group uh, to find out what voters really think about what's going on in politics with the help of former number 10 pollster James Johnson and the global communications firm Kex CNC. Now, this month, we wanted to take the pulse of the nation on Freedom Day so, to see whether people were worried or excited about being allowed back out into the open, what they think about masks, nightclubs uh, and that sort of thing. So we carried this out uh, last night. Uh, it was very hot. They seemed very hot, it has to be said. Uh, James Johnson uh, joins me now. We'll, t we'll go through the uh, clips and uh, we'll find out what uh, grades they gave as an end-of-term uh, report for uh, the party leaders. But, James, let's begin, as ever, with the health warning of what is a focus group and why is it different to a, a, a full-blown opinion poll. 
So a focus group is getting six to eight people together in a room or in this situation on Zoom um, to really sort of talk about issues informing what they might be thinking and feeling. So it's not designed to be a representative opinion poll. It's not designed to be a categorical sort of sense of what the British public think, but it's designed to sort of get under the skin and understand. Politicians, political parties use them often to get at what's going on underneath the polls, and that's what we're trying to do here as well. Now, this this focus group last, last night, the one we're talking about today, that was of swing voters, a mix of people who voted Labour and Conservative last time at the last general election, are now undecided, and they're from a mix of Birmingham, uh, Manchester and Reading. So that's the mix. That's the uh, uh, and they were all on Zoom, like you said, to try and get a mix across the country. It's quite a good way of getting uh, them all together. And you started off because uh, obviously there's been quite a lot happening in politics over the weekend, and you just asked them how's the government government been handling things for the last few days. I'm a bit mixed on it, but at the same time, I throughout most of the pandemic, in all honesty, I've had a bit of sympathy for them because it's been it's been unknown the whole time, and some of the decisions they've had to make. I, I wouldn't want to have to make myself. So, like a lot of people criticise them. Um, I think it's got to a point now, though, where it's like rattling on too long. And I think this past week they've made a few mistakes. The whole thing with Boris and Richie getting pinged, and whether they were or weren't going to adhere to. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think it's a little bit. It feels a little bit chaotic, a little bit confusing. I'm a bit sitting on the fence. So I say they've got a very tough job to do, but um, and I don't think that they particularly know how to do it themselves. I think they're doing all right, but I believe that when you're trying to understand everyone's scenario, you've got to kind of be biased in the sense that the virus genuinely affects people with the health conditions, like older people have weaker immune systems and lungs that aren't particularly as good as the younger generation. So when you're opening up these clubs and people go into them and they come back, who's to say that those clubs aren't just a generation, a breeding ground for the virus? I have to say, like, I really agree with Mitchell and Sharon, so I'll probably be echoing a bit of what they've said in terms of trying to be sympathetic to the fact that this is the first time anything like this has ever happened and, you know, they're trying to make their way through. But I'd say in the, in the last few weeks with the Matt Hancock scandal and then recently, as Mitchell said, with uh, Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak being, you know, trying to override having to self-isolate, that sort of made things a bit you know, probably getting me more off the fence. But no, I'd say it's, it's been a difficult balance. Um, I think that they've, government's got a tough job regardless whatever decisions that they do make. But I don't think that they've helped themselves um, with recent events, like again, echoing Kusi, what she mentioned with the Matt Hancock, and also this recent one with um, a lot of individuals being pinged and them sort of overriding that. Now, I know, James Johnson, there'll be people shouting at the radio, the idea of giving the benefit of the doubt or, you know, it's a tricky situation, that even in 18 months in now to this uh, crisis, voters, swing voters, people on the more on the centre of the political spectrum, are more willing to give the government the benefit of the doubt than, say, Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've obviously had a few sort of things happen since our last focus group. We've had that Matt Hancock resignation. We had that self-isolation episode over the weekend. There is a sense, if you look at Twitter or if you look at social media, that perhaps this is really sort of shifting the dial. And actually, in some of the polls, we've seen a little small shift as well. So there might be something going on. But really, underneath that, as you can see, that sense that we've had throughout the entire pandemic, we've had it at the start, we've had it uh, in the real low points for the government in November and December last year, and we had it at the peak of the vaccine rollout too. This sense of 
it's a very difficult set of circumstances. Nobody's been in this position before. Um, so, you know, we can't be too harsh. Now, you see a little bit of fraying there. There's a sense that some mistakes have been made in the last few weeks. But that fundamental sort of um, sense of the benefit of the doubt is still there. And really throughout the whole pandemic, that's been something that has, for better or worse, protected Boris Johnson, the Conservative Party's reputation. And I imagine it will do even in any future inquiry. Um, and just in, t- in terms of the opinion polls, I was looking at, if you look at the polls from exactly this time last year, I was looking at the YouGov tracker. Uh, this time last year, the Tories were on 44%, Labour was on 35%. The most recent one, Tories on 44%, Labour on 31%. So if any of the, you know, they did come, uh, you know, they, they came very close in sort of October, November last year. It was the big wobble of um, cancelling Christmas and all of that. And Labour did pull ahead in a few of the polls and then the vaccine uh, rollout takes off. And then we're basically back to where we were uh, 12 months ago. So that's the sort of uh, the overall picture. But let's focus specifically on uh, the the, um, the mess at the weekend of how Boris Johnson and Keir St- uh, Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak got pinged, told to self-isolate. Then they were going to become uh, part of the pilot scheme that nobody knew about, which meant they wouldn't have to self-isolate. Uh, the, uh, it was announced as fact that that's what they were doing. And then an hour later, it gets announced it. No, they're not doing that. They just merely looked at it and decided not to. Um, James, but let's take a listen to this, because I was amazed that something that was all done and dusted in two hours on a Sunday, on a hot Sunday morning, got incredible cut through. Let's take a listen. Um, I would say I remember sort of looking at the news app on my phone and seeing it as breaking news that there'd been, um, well, that um, Sajid had come down with COVID and that he'd seen the Prime Minister on the day that he tested positive. So I was kind of waiting for, you know, the self-isolation, which we know would come. So it's quite a surprise to me when I then saw breaking news that they weren't going to be self-isolating because they're now trialling this new pilot scheme that, you know, had never been mentioned previous to that. So, yeah, it was it was just a bit shocking. And then the U-turn the next day it just reminded me of the Matt Hancock scandal where obviously the prime minister had said this is you know case is closed and then the next day he'd resigned so it kind of just feels like i just wish they would think things through in the first instance rather than trying to backtrack when there's been a public backlash well yeah it's very much it feels like one rule for them doesn't it and a different one for the rest of us and potentially could make you you know sort of think well it can't be that important to do that if they can just switch things around to suit you know so it might make people take things less seriously i just think if you if there is a rule everyone needs to follow it i mean you're always going to get a percentage of people that don't want the jabs or don't want anything else but as their position of authority and they're setting the guidelines they definitely need to follow them uh, it was one rule for uh, them, one rule for everyone else. The klaxon uh, going off there, James. Yeah, and we were just speaking about how social media and Twitter don't always match the public. Here, it really does. Um, there was real frustration. There was real anger. Um, as you say, Matt, you know, it was only around for a br- couple of hours on the Sunday morning. Um, but if we heard that first respondent there talking about how they get their news, I've heard that so many times in focus groups, people getting the push notifications from news apps or on their iPhones or whatever else it might be. And they're obviously racking up, they're seeing those and they're responding to them. We're not in this world where people just get things from rolling news or people just get things from from the newspapers anymore. So that might explain a little bit of that. I think this self-isolation episode um, would have been potentially completely destructive to Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak's brands, actually, if they hadn't have made that U-turn. I think you get little traces of that there. They've controlled the damage. 
but it really could have been very destructive indeed. And in fact, we had a text exchange on Sunday when the row broke, knowing that we'd got the focus group booked in, thinking we're going to have 90 minutes of one rule for them and one rule for everyone else. It's interesting at the point you make that for people who are a little bit engaged in the news, if you have got an app on your phone, you know, with this, I don't know, the Times app or the BBC app or whatever, you know, you get these notifications, you're suddenly much more engaged into what would otherwise have been a sort of fairly niche um, uh, news cycle. Um, and so I was really struck by, you know, Sajid this and Matt Hancock that. And, you know, whereas on other parts of the sort of conversation, they weren't that politically aware. But if you get these pings, you read them, and it really resonates. Uh, absolutely, and I think uh, those people who write those pings are one of the uh, some of the most powerful people in the media. I think, um, but I think it's also something unique to COVID. You know, COVID is one of these incredibly rare sort of phenomenons that is on the news all the time. It affects politicians, and politicians have to make decisions, and it also affects everybody's individual personal lives. So it ramps up the the impact of any of these things, yeah. whether it's Barnard Castle, whether it's Matt Hancock, or whether it's the self isolation row over the weekend. Yeah, because uh, because everyone else has to self isolate. It's different to a sort of a ping about Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson falling out about how to fund social care. Yeah. Interesting to you and I, uh, but possibly not in the same way. Uh, the other thing that really stood out in that is if there's if there's a rule, everyone needs to follow it, which was interesting because you asked them, talking about uh, apps pinging, the uh, COVID-19 app pinging, and we asked the group, again, this is a panel of swing voters uh, from across the country, and uh, James Johnson asked them, what was their approach to the app? Uh, I did have it and I've recently deleted it. Well, to be honest, like if I go anywhere, I I sort of, you know, I book a table online so they have my details anyway. I've turned off the um, Bluetooth and then put it back on again. Tell us, tell us about that, Sharon. Well, because I wanted to go out <laughs> and it had told me to self-isolate and I had to go shopping. So I just turned it off and then when I got home, I turned it back on again. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't agree with that at all, but it's one of those things. No, I've not had it from the start. Um, I've not had it. I've never had it from the start. And I think this adds to my feeling of the government actually doing a poor job of this because, you know, with technology, if this was something that was thought of um, properly, the infrastructure would be put in place where we everybody would have that automatically without, you know, having that choice. I never had the app from the start, from the get-go. I just never ever really sought the need to to have it. I personally don't don't go out and socialise much anyway. My life is work and home. My I share my my experience is exactly the same. So when everything opened up last year in the summer, and, and that's when most of the people were downloading the app, I wasn't really going out. I, I've been working from home since March nineteenth of last year. And uh, even when things have opened up, I've not really gone out much or uh, socialised. And in the times where I have gone out, you know, when you go into the restaurants and you're, when I have gone out for, I think, the ETAT help out in August of last year, I think I, I probably had three or four lunches, but you had to sign and give all your details anyway. So to me, it didn't make sense to then download the app to replicate exactly what I was doing. And a lot of places you can um, scan the QR code anyway if you don't have the app. So... I didn't feel the need to have it permanently on my phone. Now, this the reason that focus groups are really useful, James Johnson, is because they give us different picture to uh, what were what what people say to um, opinion polls. So look at the m- most recent uh, last week YouGov poll. Uh, uh, would you self isolate uh, for ten days if someone you know well told you they had to be tested positive? Sixty three percent said they would. 
if they had no symptoms. Um, uh, and yet, everyone's got a different excuse there. Well, I had to go to the shops. I, I love the idea that you have the app turned on when you're at home, but you turn it off when you leave the house. Uh, and it's one of those things where uh, a part of me thinks that the, the, the public think they want the, they want the coronavirus pandemic to go away. They realise that that means restrictions, but they want the restrictions on other people, and then they'll find their own way through making that work for them. Yeah, I think this is a, uh, a, a really good reminder. It's interesting that you say that about the polls, Matt, because it's very easy to look at some of those polls and sort of assume that the public are at large quite pro-lockdown, very public health conscious, very diligently following the rules. Under the surface, that clearly is is not the case, and and and, and we heard it there. That's partly informed by a few th- a few things. I'm sure that a lot of this is just fundamental uh, uh, human behaviour. Um, some of it is is frustration with their own experience of tests. People talked often about getting one positive test, one negative test. There being a lot of confusion. Um, they've talked about uh, uh, the inconsistent messages throughout the the length of the pandemic, and there was even reference to the last couple of days and and and, and the news over that. But I think it is that reminder that. This is the reality of public opinion. It's messy, chaotic, it's inconsistent. Because I would, I, I would tell you almost with 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 a hundred percent confidence that everyone in that focus group would have ticked. Yes, I support lockdown, and yes, I have been following the rules, and yes, I support further restrictions in a poll. Um, and clearly, the reality is a little bit different. Uh, and yet, similarly, on masks, you asked the group, uh, you know, who would still wear them and who wouldn't. It was a bit of a mixed bag. But one of the people said, uh, "I don't like masks." And I don't think they work, and I don't think they're any good. And it's just, well, I don't like them, so I've just I've carried out my own uh, study. Uh, and that's probably, again, you know, right across the board. People think they, they want restrictions because they want coronavirus to go away. But they don't like masks because they won't, won't bother with them. And just, and just very quickly on that, there is, of course, the flip side to this, that if you are somebody in government or if you're a Tory backbencher wanting people to shift back towards personal responsibility, there may well be some sign of that happening in that focus group. Whether that would quite align with the public health advice is perhaps another question. James, let's turn our attention now to uh, the party leaders. We thought, because we're coming up to the House of Commons rises for the summer recess uh, later on this week, we thought we'd find out... Uh, what they would, uh, the end of term grade that they would give to party leaders. Let's, let's hear uh, what happened when you asked the uh, focus group made up of swing voters from across the country uh, what, what grade they would give Boris Johnson. Maybe a, a C or a D. I think he's tried his best. <laughs> C minus. You know, you've tried, there's been some good effort. <laughs> um, there were some times where, you know, with the, um, how fast the UK secured vaccines and the amount of people who are able to get vaccinated and how well we've done with that, that would be the reason why it's the C minus and that's lifted the grade up. But in the last, you've said about the last couple of months, I'd say that's where the grade has slipped. An E to an F, probably I'll say is a failure. Everything stops, the buck stops with Boris Johnson. Probably a, a, a B minus. I mean, it's not like every prime minister goes up against global pandemic. Probably a C minus. He's inconsistent, doesn't finish one project before he finishes, starts another one. I'd say a C, really. He could give more effort. He's good at um, telling us what we want to hear. So he sort of scraped through. But again, he's got a very difficult job. Uh, yeah, I'd say like a B minus. Um, I think again, he's had to deal with the next hardest thing a prime minister had to since the war, really. And I, I just think I don't know many people that would have done a better job than him. At the same time, I think he could have done better. Uh, there we are. Then B minus, C minus, E to F, B minus, C minus, C B minus. I mean, the prime minister would probably be quite happy with that, wouldn't he? 
It's largely scraping through on a pass, I think, using the old, uh, the old <laughs> yeah, system. I don't know what they are. There's like a 7 or an 8, isn't it, on, yeah. the, on the new GCSEs? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, look, these are, there are clearly some frustrations coming through. There are clearly some of the criticisms that we perhaps heard when Boris Johnson's lot was particularly low at the end of last year, sort of lack of clarity, things like that. This is not a brand, though, that is imploding. Uh, this is not a politician that people have given up on uh, for good. I mean, one of the uh, quotes there from one of the respondents was, you know, he's inconsistent and he, he doesn't finish one project before moving on to the next. I mean, that's hardly, you know, I'm never going to vote for this guy again. He's awful. So I think he, he will take that. It's quite interesting how people talk about things that have happened around Boris Johnson. They talk about Cummings and Matt Hancock letting him down. Um, so at the moment, a lot of those episodes are actually quite isolated from Boris. Though one respondent did say earlier on in the group, well, actually, uh, the way that Boris responded to the self-isolation issue over the weekend perhaps also matches how he responds to Hancock, sort of, you know, it trying to defy the truth. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. he'll need to watch out for that. Uh, and yeah, this idea of, you know, it's a difficult job, you know, nobody faces a pandemic uh, does seem to persist uh, with at least uh, some voters. Let's uh, let's uh, cross uh, to the other side of the house now. Let's get the end of term uh, grades for Keir Starmer. Probably a B to a C. I guess being a shadow um, prime minister, it's always easier to attack where there's been mistakes being made by the, you know, the, the government in charge. Um, but he seems to sing from a consistent hymn sheet. I'd probably go with a B. And this was quite tough because, you know, ever since he replaced Jeremy Corbyn, I don't really know much about him other than every now and then when I speak to my stepdad, you know, he'll mention that, you know, he did a good job somewhere at some time. But I don't have anything negative to bring that grade down. So for me, I think a B is, a you know, you're achieving. I would say maybe a C minus. Just because um, I think, you know, when I've seen him on TV and he just seems to be, yeah, attacking all the time and slating and, and that just seems very unhelpful. I don't know too much, but I'd probably give him a C because I just feel like when, when, you're, when you're in that political, uh, when you have that political title, you need to have a certain sense of professionality about your job. And if, be the, if attacking people and just... Acting hastily is the way to go. Then it's just not gonna, it's not gonna work for him. Yeah, see, it just doesn't work well with other people. I wouldn't really be able to grade him because I like if it was in a pupil in my class, it'd be what I don't know anything about him, so it would be unfair of me to judge him. Uh, I'll give him an E. I think very nearly an F, possibly, um, just because I think that, like everyone has said, I think he's. He just finds the problem, like not finds the problems, but highlights unnecessary problems. And I think he never has anything positive to say. James Johnson, uh, what's really interesting there is it again highlights the problem that Keir Starmer's had that uh, people like you and I say, oh, he's just, you know, supporting the government. Um, uh, he's not really staking out any uh, different fact. In fact, this week he seems to, have, you know, he's actually been quite hard on the government and, you know, uh, attacking the Freedom Day lifting of restrictions. But swing voters there saying he's just attacking all the time. He doesn't work well with other people. He just highlights problems uh, rather than focusing on the positive. And this is persisting 18 months in now. Yeah, it's difficult. And the, what's, what's particularly difficult about it as well is that people are... It's not just that he's attacking the government and people don't like that. 
the way they talk about it is he's attacking the government, but he hasn't got an alternative vision. And I think that's the problem that Keir Starmer faces in his, in his, in his sort of brand and offer. There is a bit of it that's inevitable about the pandemic, of course, but that's what they're really looking for. What is the answer? What is the constructive alternative? Um, but, you know, there were B's and C's in here. Um, this is, again, not a brand that is completely destroyed. It's certainly, I think, probably a bit more positive than what we heard about Keir Starmer back in sort of April and May in our focus groups. Uh, so they're still, you know, keeping their eyes and ears open to him. But there is a bit of frustration about how he seems to be attacking the government. And we didn't have anyone who said who, uh, which is the sort of thing we've had uh, previously. And only one person saying didn't know much about him. So they, the people felt... a they knew the, enough about him to pass comment, and that, even that is progress uh, in the past 18 months. Uh, let's turn our attention finally then to uh, Rishi Sunak, uh, who has been uh, one of the standout stars of these focus groups in the past uh, 12 months we've been doing them. This is the uh, end of term grade for the Chancellor. I only follow Boris and what I see on the news. I don't know anything about any of the others, so I can't comment. I would give him a B personally because I think he's done really well uh, especially at the start with the furlough scheme and rolling that out as quickly as he did and the support that that gave at the, in the first lockdown, which was obviously when things were even more unknown. I think he did really well then. I'm not too sure. Um, I don't know too much. Probably uh, B for that for the furlough, how quickly he set the um, furlough up, really. Probably give him a B plus because he, he, it just seems like whatever whatever solution that the government comes up with is that Rishi just seems to be pushing it out as quickly as possible and he's doing it in the good hopes that we will be out of this lockdown sooner rather than later. Uh, again, I, you know, I think I'd say probably a B plus. He seems like a really sort of positive guy. You know, he, he um, obviously the fellows mentioned already, uh, the eat out to help out last year. You know, I think that was something that really gave everybody a lift Overall, probably a B minus. Um, seems very positive. The furlough scheme was great for you know a lot of um, industries. I think I'm going with the highest mark. I, I was torn between a B plus or an A minus, and I think oh, and actually probably stick to more the A minus because um, I can't imagine that his role is probably to me the most difficult and the financial support. I think a lot of people would be in a much worse situation if it wasn't for the furlough scheme. If it wasn't for you know the government what they put in place with them. Um, you know, break, you know, mortgage breaks for a lot of people. Uh, so that was what uh, they think of uh, Richie Sunak. The reason I want to include that, James, is because Richie Sunak's got some tough months ahead, spending review coming in the autumn, which is whether or not his popularity, you know, getting B's, A minus even for the furlough scheme, that's spending the money. Trying to recoup it may well take the shine off that. Yeah, there was a little bit of criticism about what he'd done over the weekend with the self-isolation rules. Again, as we said earlier, I expect that if that U-turn hadn't have happened, we may well have been listening to slightly different grades today. But yes, his his brand, his reputation is very durable, and so much of that does stem back to that furlough decision. And I think that actually pressure coming up on Richie Sunak over the next few weeks and months could well be withstood because of the power of that sense that the public have, that he stepped in early on in the pandemic, did something that people hadn't done before, um, and, and rolled out the furlough scheme. So people aren't holding those negatives against him yet, and I expect that may well defend his brand for some time to come. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Acast, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And listen to my show on Times Radio, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. And to read more about what we've been discussing, you can subscribe at thetimes.co.uk. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.